the show we're talking about three letters baby nathan what are those three letters abc c i yeah cia right yes that's what Mm -hmm. we're talking about baby so welcome back i'm your host dj along with my co-conspirator in this joint my man money nathan what's going on everybody great to see everyone it's been a while been a couple weeks for us Uh, really excited for tonight's show so thank you to everyone who's joined in uh, to listen we're gonna have a great great time Got to see this brother in NYC, people. Had some Korean food with him. He was doping it up with some katsudon. Anyway, uh, <laughs> also want to introduce our researcher and uh, the brilliant uh, uh, mental health professional, Debs. How are you, ma'am? I'm doing very well, and I'm happy to say that maybe very soon I will see Nathan in New York. I'm thinking about going to that conference. Nice. That's awesome. Fantastic. Can I get an Amen. Yes, and Deb, I was so happy I got to speak with Deb today and yesterday. I got to speak with Steph today. Life's good. Uh, and Nathan, he needed a couple day break from me, but that's okay. Um, so, any- <laughs> so anyway, uh, bring on our, if you would bring on our guest panelists real quick. So sure. Kevin couldn't make it tonight, but guess what, people? We got someone with two varsity letters. We're talking about my U.S. Navy CIA brother, John Ramirez. Yeah. Great to have you with us. Welcome to the show. I guess you're part of the show now. By the way, I have a benefits package. We can let you know about that later. Yeah. Yes. We'll talk about 401k and the uh, matching on the eyeglasses and dental. But uh, anyway, uh, but right now we want to bring in the guest of the hour. And it was so nice of John to come on and help us uh, ask some questions to Jim. Uh, as if you need, because anybody could ask like a zillion questions to this man. This brother right here has a degree in secondary education from the Ohio State University and a literary bachelor's, and he has a master's in English lit. And guess what? He was an ops officer in the CIA's Directorate of Operation during his 25 years at the agency, and he is currently the co-founder and VP of operations of To The Stars Academy, along with brother Tom DeLong, a seminal organization for U.S. disclosure mo- for the UFO disclosure movement. So let me tell you something, people. Don't play with this man. Don't talk no craziness. He's going to have you hog-tied up in the back of a yacht like, like Liam Neeson's victim with an apple hanging out your mouth. So don't play no games. <laughs> But put your hands together for my man, Jim Semivan! Yeah! I was signed up for here. <laughs> Welcome, Jim. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. No, <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. I know. I'm happy with it. I'm, I'm good. I'm good to go. Amen, Jim. He has a special right. set of skills, I think. Yeah, <laughs> don't play with this man. That's all I got to tell you. So, Jim, during your career, did you ever have to like go on undercover, learn how to surf? And then, you know, because maybe like there was a group of bank robbers dressed up as ex-presidents. Anything like that ever happen? Uh, no, I mean, uh, yeah, when you're on Johnny, Utah, yeah, you, you. <laughs> 
I would have different identities sometimes. And uh, um, yeah, and sometimes you would have to do things you don't, you didn't know very well or, you know, but uh, yeah, it was par for the course. But did you do like Johnny Utah and say, I am a C-I-A-H? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. John will tell you that, you know, we're, we, we, we try, strive to be little gray men. You know, I know. And, uh, yes, you know, just you know, fade into the background. I am kidding with you. Of course, we always start with something really stupid, and hopefully uh, you get it. But, you know, it, that one may have been even too dumb for you. Uh, Jim, <laughs> it, it is an honor to have you. <laughs> and uh, I have a question <laughs> here for you from uh, <laughs> All right. <or> one. <laughs> I have a question here uh, for you. And uh, sometimes I'll yield a, a question to one of our friends of the show, our cab fam. There's a gentleman from the UK, Davey Johnston, who says, uh, uh, Jim, yeah, you've described experiencers as being voyagers at the forefront of an expansion or evolution of consciousness. Alongside this and the moves that we are seeing in terms of disclosure of the subject, do you think that the phenomenon is playing a part in increased interest in the subject, or do you think this may be an example of not only anthro, uh, anthropocentrism, but maybe even currentism, and that our understanding and interaction with the phenomenon has remained the same for centuries and will remain the same? Wow, that's uh, that's a great question, and uh, kids, great. If I can unpack it a little bit. Uh, uh, you know the answer. The, you know the short answer is I I don't know, and I I, I don't know anybody who does know. I mean, uh, you know, one of the one of the big things. Uh, uh, that you deal with when you're dealing with the phenomenon um, is um, this uh, is is just this whole idea of conjecture. Everybody, you know, comes at it, you know, from their own view- viewpoint, and you know, we we look at it anthropomorphically um, uh, because we have to. I mean, we're humans. Uh, uh, some some of us have you know certain backgrounds, religious backgrounds, or um, uh, maybe uh, you know psychological backgrounds, military backgrounds, whatever the story, intelligence backgrounds, whatever the story. We try to look at it through this this lens. Um, from my reading of, of of the literature, and I, I've read quite a bit. I mean, I do suffer from literary amnesia. I mean, you know, I read books and I I, I have to go back and read them again. I um, I I. I think I'm back to reading uh, John Keel for like the third or fourth time. His whole, his whole, uh, you know, bunch of books. I love him. I think he's great. But, but no, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it it, it could go either way. I mean, you know, does the phenomenon basically direct us? Uh, you know, uh, and is it directing us now? Um, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, uh, in the sense that, uh, in it's my opinion. Um, well, it's not even my opinion. I mean, I believe this is real. The phenomenon is real, and it, it appears to be able to um, impose itself uh, on us, uh, on our, uh, on our, uh, the way we, we we see things, the way we see it. Uh, I know Jacques Vallée talks a lot about that, and um, on the cover of his, I think, Passport to Magonia, the new cover, the new the new Passport to Magonia, he has you know the the, the masks in front of the graves, in front of the you know, and you sort of look at that and. Um, that, that scenario and you don't know uh, you don't know who to trust I mean you can't trust it um, right I was chatting with Robert Hastings not too long ago and and um, and I was I mentioned something to him about yeah I'm just gonna I'm gonna bury this stuff I'm out you know I don't want to do this anymore uh, I was frustrated very very frustrated because the phenomenon doesn't really 
it doesn't really introduce itself to us. I mean, does it? I mean, it it, it teases us. Um, it will lie to us. Um, sometimes it maybe maybe it will tell us the truth, but there's no consistency to it. There's no formality to it. There's no introduction, formal introduction to it. And I believe that's true across the government. Um, and um, I, I don't know if anything is going to change uh, in the future. The only thing I will say, and I think it's apparent to everybody here, that uh, we certainly have been engaging with it a lot more in the last you know, 80 years, and particularly in the last 20, um, w- would lead us to believe that perhaps something is going to happen. Um, some of the people I chat with uh, who deal with this, uh, you know, mentioned that they feel uh, like maybe something is going to be happening soon. Uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know. Uh, I, I know that I don't trust it. Uh, I know it can, you know, it, it can, has a bad side to it, not a big bad side, but a little bit of bad side to it. Whether that's a you know uh, you know one species or you know two species out of twenty, I have no clue. But uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I, it's it's funny. I I, I uh, in some of my podcasts, you know, that I do, and uh, you know, and uh, I I must sound like a a, a Looney Tune uh, because I don't know what else to say. I don't know what to say. I mean, Not I, you at know, all. I just Not don't. And uh, and in some of my uh, you know some of the briefings I had year, uh, a few years ago on this, uh, at least the classified element to it, it was just, uh, you know, it, it, there, weren't, there weren't any answers. It wasn't like, you know, somebody was telling me, you know, here's the answer, you know what I mean? And, you know, the Anunnaki or, you know, are here and blah, 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 blah. And you go on and on. No, I wasn't like that at all. It was actually just, you know, this is all this stuff that's happening out there. This is very, very real you know, you see the pictures, you see the data, and then you go, "Holy cow!" You know, we're living in a in a uh, in a reality here that um, is sort of closed off to us. A lot of it is closed off to us. So um, I'm I, I I tend to be rambling, so I apologize. Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's the best I can do with that answer. I guess at, at, at the moment, I'm not as I'm not as eloquent as Mr. Ramirez here, who's uh, uh, but actually I, both who both. I really truly admire. I mean, I, I he. He sent me a uh, a slide deck oh about a year ago on on the government you know and I I just was like blown away by it I was going like holy cow you know I wish I had the brains to do it but see he was an analyst you know and the analysts really are the guys the smart guys right and he, not only was he an analyst he was a DS and T analyst it's like holy cow you know you know and, it, um, we always admire people who have a I'm I'm sorry we always admire people who have this different talent and skill set than we have. That's what's, you know, what's inspiring. And what I want to say before I pass it over to my co-conspirator, Nathan, is that I'm also inspired and empowered, I think, as, as because you and other experiencers have said you were able to put your metaphorical foot down and say, no, I don't want this at this time. And you were able to push back on the phenomenon. And I think uh, for people that are having an experience uh, that, that maybe they're uneasy about, and David Lanier also is, has espoused that, and, and I'm glad that you were that you were able to do that. That that is inspiring. Thank you. I, I, you know, well, Stuart Davis is, um, you know, is uh, 
I think, a believer in that. And he's another wonderful, wonderful guy. And I, I happen to share his opinions on this. I don't like being controlled. I don't, I, you know, who does, right? But I don't like that. I don't like this concept. And um, it's, it's highly bothersome. And it's not just bothersome to me. It's bothersome to a lot of people. You have this whole idea of uh, sovereignty, you know, and um, uh, I'm sure you've all read that article by Alexander Wendt, you know, the Ohio State University professor on UFOs and sovereignty. But it's, it's a wonderful article. And um, uh, but it's true. And, and, you know, we all sort of like order in our lives and and we want to have some kind of a say in, in how we conduct our lives. Uh, and then all of a sudden this phenomenon pops in. And basically, I think what it's telling us is no, 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 that's. You, you may think you do, uh, but we, we can control this. So uh, interesting stuff, you know. I Definitely and inspiring. I wrote that one down so that I can read that because I haven't read that. But uh, my uh, co-creator, Nathan, take it away, sir. Thanks. Um, yeah, so Jim, you kind of touched on this uh, issue, and it's something that I've been thinking about for, for quite some time now. I'd love to get your thoughts on it, and, and maybe, John, if you want to weigh in as well. But because you know, I'm sure you've thought about it. So this issue of trust, uh, this issue of how do we go about trusting a thing, which one, as you said, it's pretty elusive. We're having a hard time really even kind of getting our hands around it. But two, which seems to surpass, you know, many of our abilities, you know, many of our technological abilities, our cognitive abilities, it kind of knows what's happening before we're even aware of what's going to happen. You know, have you put some thought into kind of thinking through what would we do or what would be what would we be looking for to kind of develop a trust with whatever this is? Are we really hoping for more overt open contact for that to happen? Is there something that you know you think is a prerequisite for us being able to really have a meaningful kind of trusting relationship with it? Well, that's that's another good question. Um, yeah, there has to be some kind of 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 uh understanding of what this is before we can actually have a relationship with it. And frankly, I, uh, you know, I think we're at the point now that, that we, that most, most people who are heavily involved in this, at least in the government understand that this is real. And I think Congress now knows it's real. I mean, this whole nonsense about, you know, China and Russia and it's all this. No, 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 it's not man-made. It isn't. It, 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 everybody knows it in the government. It's this nonsense. You know, it is definitely something else. And, um, uh, you know, what that is, we don't really know. But, um, uh, you know, I remember Jacques uh, Vallée, when he, he came to my house once, um, once uh, people found out about the experience my wife and I had. And uh, immediately afterwards, um, he, he flew out to see me and, and my wife and, you know, spent the day with us and took photographs and what have you. And, but we had a really nice conversation and I had already read all of his, all of his books. And, and um, I asked him over lunch and I said, really, Jock, you know, what, what do we do with this? I mean, uh, you know, and he, 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 he said to me, he said, well, he said, it's extraordinarily complex. And he says, I don't know what to tell you. He said, and he used this thing about, about an iPhone. He said, you have your iPhone? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, take it out to a pasture and throw it in front of a cow and have a conversation. <laughs> and that's about where we are with this. So, um, you know, once again, I, I go back to, you know, if there's any going to be any relationship with the phenomenon in any way, shape or form, there has to be a level of trust there. There has to be 
some kind of opening that where where the phenomena would say this is who we are or this is what we are, uh, and whether that's an intelligence, you know, just just a, a, maybe a you know, like a Gaia type intelligence or universal type intelligence. That that's certainly a possibility, um, uh, or whether you know it's like Jung talked about. It's it is you know our own psychic disequilibrium, you know projecting out of our, uh, you know, our subconscious and what we're actually seeing is, you know, as ourselves, you know, uh, putting ourselves out there, wishing for our new myth, you know, to come in. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I don't think that's the case um, because I I think these things are very real. I think this is very real. And, and, uh, but what it is, is it, is it one or is it 20 different entities? Uh, Is it one entity that masks itself in 20 different guises? Um, but my, my, my big my big problem is how do you connect this? I mean, if you if you do uh, near death studies, um, I, I was uh, my wife and I were, were was at the uh, IONS conference, you know, International Association of Near Death you know uh, uh, experiencers, you know, in uh, in uh, King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, a couple of years ago, and we had the chance to meet with uh, Evan Alexander and uh, other experiencers there. And when you listen to them, and then you read Kenneth Ring, and, you know, uh, you know, and 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 you look at all that, and you say, well, okay, that how does that play into this? How does mystical experiences, religious mystical experiences, play into this? How does the work of uh, Michael Newton, you know, um, you know, destiny of souls play into this? I mean, where we go after we die, and you know, our soul groups, things along those lines. Um, so, you know, it, because in a way, you can look at this and you can say, well, you know, I use this analogy of the great chain of being. You know, that maybe this 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 phenomenon is sits in there somewhere, um, and that it's not quite as powerful as we think it is. But in the end, you know, when we all die and we go to some place, you know, is that really the the end or the answer? You know, and that the phenomena is just basically like a bunch of gin screwing with us, you know, and and I always think it is the gin, be honest with you, because if you read the literature on the gin, and this is essentially what it amounts to, right? These are, you know, uh, uh, spiritual beings uh, who have good sides and bad sides to them they're much like we are um uh so i don't know i mean i i that's that's my train of thought on this i i but i don't i i i don't see any opening coming i mean any anytime soon i just Mm -hmm. don't i mean Mm -hmm. i they're toying with us it's it's toying with us whatever it is Mm -hmm. you know One question I have following that, as, and we're going to pass it to Deb is next, is that the fact that you were able to push back and get the phenomenon to perhaps stop interacting as, as you wanted it to stop, does that mean it's capable of an emotion or a, a feeling of respect? Does it respect you more? Or was it just they sensed that there was a pushback and, and then it was just a, res- a response? Well... That, that's really an excellent question also, too, because it, it you know, I, I always use this example. Chris Bledsoe is a very dear friend of mine, and we all know his story. Uh, when I first heard his story from his own lips, one of the most frightening things I've ever heard, uh, for both he and his son, who was with him during this, 
Um, there are very, very uh, uh, interesting elements to it. Um, the translucent beings, the the lady appeared, you know, uh, and um, and then what happened afterwards to Chris. But what happened to Chris was it it, it was a frightening experience that turned into really a spiritual awareness. And John Mack talks a lot about this, this whole idea of having these experiences and then uh, having it change your life uh, for the better. Then you look at me and my wife. We've always been very spiritually oriented, my wife and I. We're, we're not uh, atheists, uh, and we're definitely not religious in the least. But we generally tend to believe in, you know, in uh, a greater good that's out there and, and what have you. But I saw my experience a lot differently. I mean, I have not, the anger has not left. All right. Because I'm looking at this. I mean, I, you know, it's like this didn't teach me anything, Mm. I don't think, about spirituality, about changing myself. You know, I was already a climate activist, I was already a decent guy. I believed in Algis Huxley's, you know, idea of kindness and compassion and love and things along those lines. And I try to live my life according to this. So I'm trying to think of myself, what in God's name was it trying to tell me? But all it did was, you know, created this human rights violation of the highest order on, on both me and my wife, where we had, you know, we had issues after the, after that experience. So I'm not happy about it. And, and I'm not the only one either. I mean, there are many people who had um, the same kind of deal. You you look at, uh, you know, um, uh, Alex, I guess they call him, you know, in, in Skinwalker Ranch in the books. I know him very well. You know, we're, we're friends. He's a nice, nice, wonderful guy. Sorry, did but, you mean Axelrod, Jim? Pardon me? Is it Alex or Axelrod? Is it Axelrod? I, I mean, yeah. Axelrod. Yeah, Axelrod. Sure. Axelrod. Yeah. No problem. And, um, and Axelrod, you know, I, I met him at the Pentagon the first time and, you know, and sort of heard his story. But when you look at that, you know, it's, it's not, it's not good. It's not good for ch- children to be, you know, treated like that. I mean, a wolf showing up, you know, in their backyard, scaring the living shit out of two of their children and their wife, you know, things along those lines. So you look at that and you say, well, okay, is what aspect of the phenomenon is that? Uh, And what is that teaching some 15 year old, you know, uh, besides, you know, the world's a very strange place and it might not be all good. Yeah. Great, you know, but all they got to do is go to a cancer ward at St. Jude's. They're going to they're see the same damn thing. You're going to learn the same damn lesson. Right. So I'm, I'm very much, uh, uh, I mean, I, I could be swayed, <laughs> obviously, but, but I'm very much not of the opinion, uh, like a lot of my friends are. I think most of my friends are, that this might be a very, very good thing. It mm-hmm. might be. I mean, I, but if, for me, I don't see that. And if it's 10% bad or 20% bad, then that to me is... That means it's not good, right? Yeah. It given, just, yeah. Given their power, their technological and and consciousness influence, it's a significant number, even at that low number. Uh, Debs. Yeah, it's the it's the old um, you know religious uh, conundrum. You know, God works in mysterious ways, so we can't question him. Oh, really? Uh, or um, you know, or you know, you know, he he watches, you know. Six million Jews die and 20 million Ukrainians die, you know, and, you know, and then a million or two million, you know, uh, Cambodians die. And you, you, you watch that and, you know, and you say, well, I mean, I hate to sound like a, a college sophomore, you know, discussing <laughs> philosophy, 
but it's it, it's it's a very real it's it's a very real scenario, right? I mean, you're looking at that and you're saying like, well, okay, uh, the God thing I got over with a long time ago. I said, but the phenomenon thing, it's the same same deal in a way. This thing has the ability to do what it does, and yet it's not offering us anything. It isn't. The military wants to weaponize this. The intelligence community wants to weaponize this. There isn't any. This is why we moved it out. TTS. By the way, we're now to the Stars Inc. We're not to the Stars Academy anymore. But this is one of the reasons why Lou left and everybody else left. It is because you know we wanted to basically make it something that um, that the public owns. That the public has to find out what the answer to this is. Not the military. I I am I'm, I'm a big fan of of the intelligence community and the military in many respects. I, I you know I wish them Godspeed on trying to figure out what this is, but I don't expect anything from the government on this uh, to come out. Uh, the government exists solely for the defense of the United States. They're not you know here to be the uh, you know UFO directorate or something like that. That's <laughs> not their, that's not their deal. So they're not going to feel compelled. To tell the American public anything, tell a friend, tell an enemy, right? They're 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 just basically going to figure out what what they're what what they need to know, you know, to defend the United States of America. If indeed there is a reason what we need to, we may not, you know, have to. But so we need to have, um, uh, you know, a concerted effort. I, I was out at um, a think tank out in California last year about 10 months ago, where it was about 20 of us, and we had a, a really, really good meeting, some journalists, scholars, experiencers, things along those lines. And and, and uh, we discussed, you know, the need to create um, something like, um, uh, you know, uh, an institution that studies this. And, you know, sort of, I laid out a, um, sort of a, a an outline of what that would take, how much money that would cost, and what you would need to do to do it. Because um, uh, I think there is a way we can at least locate some dots to try and later on connect. You know, because right now I don't. I mean, you you can say we have dots, you know, and that they're not connected. Um, I'm not even sure we have dots because, because I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether the dots are actually real. And, um, and so, you know, I, again, I apologize for, for, for rambling a little bit here. But. That's great. It's okay. We're, we're happy to, this is very intelligent rambling. Uh, Deb, uh, you, you have uh, your first question for Mr. Semivan. I do. Thank you. Um, oh, please call me Jim. Yeah. So I am fascinated by the books on the shelf behind you. And I could not help but notice in large letters, there's a book about DMT. And as a result, I am now reading DMT, the spirit molecule. Yeah. And I was wondering if you think that there could be a component there that has to do with how experiencers might be getting manipulated. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was a fan of Terrence McKenna and his brother uh, and their, their little expeditions, you know, into um, ayahuasca and, you know, other, other, other drugs, magic mushrooms, psilocybin, things along those lines. And um, I can't remember the psychiatrist's name who was working on DMT. Um, uh uh, oh, Strassman. Yeah, Richard. But if you if you listen to Strassman, Strassman doesn't really, you know, say like this is the God molecule or this is really what's going to. He basically, you know, says this is just what it is. I mean, it's it's just a molecule that basically 
allow, or an enzyme or a chemical that allows us to, uh, you know, uh, go into uh, an area of the uh, of the brain that that appears appears to allow us to get into consciousness, uh, you know, uh, very very quickly. Um, and and I'm not and for not very long period of time. Those those kind of highs don't last very long. Maybe twenty minutes, thirty minutes. But you know, this goes back to this whole idea that you know Gary Gary Nolan, uh, who's you know a dear friend, but he talks about the um, Claudate and Patamin. I think I'm hopefully I'm pronouncing that right in the brain. Claudate Patamin. Yep. Yeah, and you know, and and looking at that, and you know, there are no conclusions uh, on that right now. And he wouldn't he wouldn't say that there would be any kind of really connection. But it is it, it is interesting. Um, uh, I'm part of that cohort study. Um, my wife and I, um, and, uh, and that where they're looking at, you know, our DNA and, and God knows everything else. And they have our whole medical history and what have you. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, there, there, there could very well be, I mean, the brain don't forget. I mean, as we all know, this is a filter, right? It's a filtering system. Uh, our, our ability to see what we see is, is very limited in hearing. Our senses are very, very limited. Um, and so the brain doesn't allow us to basically become aware with a capital A, right? It, it, it can't because we couldn't handle the awareness. Get in a car and drive a car. If you actually stood there, I mean, sat there and everything that was going on, uh, you know, in your body that helps you drive that car, if that really came into your system, it would com- you'd be completely overloaded. You'd probably collapse and die. I mean, it, there's no way... You can understand the breathing, the blood flow, the synapses going on in different parts of the brain, the muscle memory involved and how that all works. How could you possibly keep that in your head or anything for that matter? How could you possibly do that? So what, what's happening is, you know, we're, we're, we're limited by, you know, who we are uh, as humans. Uh, but yet, yet we have, we have this spark. We, we have this, this, this self-consciousness that seems to me to be leaking a little bit into a cosmic consciousness, you know, a la Richard Buck would talk about, um, that allows many of us, you know, to, to look into this, to look into consciousness and, and what have I remember Lou Elizondo talking about, you know, I asked him once, I said, what do you think, you know, the, uh, the answer is going to be found? And he said, well, somewhere between the nexus of quantum mechanics and consciousness. And I think, I think he's right. I, I think if you, if you look at two places, that's probably where it's going to be. Uh, but consciousness, the hell. I mean, you know, I haven't read anything yet that, that convinces me um, that it's, um, uh, you know, uh, local, uh, non-local. I'd lean that way, but I haven't seen anything else. Uh, but then again, if you look at near-death experiences, things along those lines, well, what does that mean? You know, it may very well be you know, uh, non-local, which I think it probably is, but what, how does that connect to this, this, this phenomenon? And I, I, I don't know, or, or are they separate? I feel like you answered for me because now I'm going to lean towards as a stress response. And so that's why we get the DMT response. So it's a stress response, which is what DMT apparently is helping with. So, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, you know, it, you know, I mean, the dopamine uh, receptors in the brain, things along those lines, uh, uh, I mean, it's, um, what, you know, brain chemicals, what do they do when, when Evan Alexander, you know, was essentially brain dead, his brain was absolute mush, 
mush. He had no, I mean, there was absolutely no way he could have recovered from that. But yet he, the brain shut down much like the brain shuts down when you, uh, when you, when you're given anesthesia, right? You know, it's one of the best sleeps you'll ever have. Get a colonoscopy. If you haven't got one, get one every 10 years. Uh, and, uh, um, but, but it's the best sleep you ever have when you come out of it because you're just completely cut off. All right. So, uh, and then some people say, well, because of that, that means that we're not, I mean, that, that the brain doesn't go, I mean, in other words, the consciousness doesn't go anywhere. I mean, it, 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 I, I don't know. I mean, it, maybe, maybe not, but, uh, what happens when, when Evan Alexander left his body and that experience that he had right, is, is just absolutely incredible. And from what he told my wife, my wife had lunch with him, I think a couple times, he didn't, he wasn't able to talk about uh, some of the things he saw, uh, some of the alien kind of things he saw, and he didn't put it in the book. Um, but, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to speak for him, but, but nevertheless, there might be something there, you know, uh, Thank you, uh, Jim. We're going to pass it over to your colleague and friend, uh, Mr. John Ramirez. Hey, Jim. Um, I just wanted to get your take on this sudden rush that we seem to be feeling, um, whereas for the last seven decades, you absolutely heard little or nothing from government. And within the last several years, there's a rush of information coming out. And now we have legislation in Congress that compels the department and um, the agencies in the intelligence community to come forward with information. Why do you think that is? Are we rushing towards some um, occurrence that the government might know about? What is causing all of this to happen? Wow, okay, yeah. Well, you know, remember in 1947, the military, the Air Force came out and the Air Force said, this phenomenon's real, right? Then the agency, got involved with the Air Force. And there was absolutely no way, particularly after Pearl Harbor, that CIA and the Air Force were going to let this drop. Just because, quote unquote, they didn't know what it was and that they weren't going to have a program. I think Blue Book, you know, Grudge, all these things, they were just covers. I mean, they were just something for the, for the public. But I think that's where the legacy programs lie. I mean, they've been going on for a long, long time. And, you know, I think they're extraordinarily hard to get to, uh, but they're there. And, um, and they're there because they have to be there because they really can't let this go. Uh, I know this and, and John, you know, this too. I mean, when we, you know, uh, you know, uh, when, when we found out in the, um, I think sixties or seventies, as the Russians were fooling around with remote viewing, what was the first thing we did? CIA went right out and hired Hal Putoff. They did it for 20 years, 20 years, right, uh, funding this thing. And and um, they canned the, the program in 1997. I was there when they canned it. I happened to be just by serendipity. But I remember the guy who canned it, a responsible, but a very senior guy in the DS&T. And he told me, he said, he said, look, it works. He said, no question remote viewing works. He said, we just can't explain it. So he said, how do you go to the president? How do you do an intelligence assessment? And then when they and the president said, OK, the Russians have this, you know, new submarine or whatever new missile they built. And he said, well, this guy went out on his silver cord and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, just not going to go. So so that doesn't mean when they I say can the program that the program's absolutely gone. That means it's usually going to get picked up by somebody else. 
but usually what the agency does is a reaction to what other other people do. Now, getting back to your question, John, so you have this 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 movement, and since nobody knows what it is, and since in the early days they truly were worried about it uh, for all kinds of reasons, you know, more mundane reasons, you know, like telecommunications and stuff was really crappy and all, and they didn't want to get everybody all all wound up. And then they started this stupid ass phony crap that they, you know, had the the media do and that they were doing about, you know, and they just did an enormous disservice to all these experiencers. It was just disgustingly awful. And, you know, when you think back on it, all these poor people who had these experiences and they made fun of them. Oh, anyway, so that's all going on. And, um, and th- this is where you have to sort of credit Luke, because um, even though you had people like you, involved in this you know well, you guys are too young for the 60s but in the 70s 80s 90s and you had guys like george knapp and jacques valet you know they're, they're pushing all this and uh um and you know uh, uh, richard dolan and even stephen greer you know going going after this full force robert hastings there's dozens and dozens of these people but there but it is in in the background it's in the background because nobody came out and nobody said anything uh, uh, in the military. And then when the military did come out, it was, it, it, it was when they did have these little things like Greer put on one, Robert Hastings put on, it just didn't connect with anybody. Nobody really paid it any attention because this whole tradition of disbelief, you know, this is uh, this, this whole idea that the, the press and the media and the military put out saying, yeah, it's all a bunch of horse, horse crap, right? That was so strong, no one was able to break it until until Mr. Elizondo uh, decided, um, I was there, I mean, you know, I, I chatted with him uh, about this and he told me he was going to leave and we talked about the, you know, the films and, and you know, and, and what have you. And, and he told me what he was going to do. And um, I sort of half-heartedly cautioned him against it because he was a very senior um, officer in, um, and, and he was young, you know maybe late forties and he easily could have jumped, I think, into the senior ranks. Uh, but he decided to leave uh, and because he felt so strongly about this. So I introduced him to Tom or put him together with Tom and then Tom hired him for TTSA right away. And then Christopher Mellon in the meantime, Tom had called Chris and then Chris came in. So, you know, you know, these are really two guys, you know, Chris Mellon and, 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 and Lou, that I think everybody needs to tip their hat to them because they really they really sort of jumped out there on this. Um, uh, and when we decided we were going to figure out how we were going to push this, it was a concerted effort. Um, uh, you know, Tom backed this whole thing, Tom Belong. And, you know, I, I give him an enormous amount of credit. People sort of make fun of him because he's a, you know, he's a, you know, a rock musician and, you know, he make dick jokes all the time and what have you. And, and, um, uh, uh, but when you talk to the man, this, this, he's, he's, uh, he's nobody's fool, man. He is one smart guy. He very well read on the topic. He knew what he wanted to do. He went out and he did it. He did it so well that the FBI is talking to him now, trying to figure out <laughs> And yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he's actually going to be talking to a whole group of uh, uh, people at the FBI Academy uh, pretty soon. 
uh, on this. And so I give him a lot of credit for actually putting all that stuff together. And then, but, but the, the, the big thing, John was, was Lou and, and Chris Mellon. Chris Mellon went after this. I mean, Lou, Lou and Chris sort of, you know, went together and then they sort of split a little bit, but, and then they went, you know, I, I went to the, 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 you know, agency and the DNI and all these other places to let them know, you know, don't arrest us. We're not going classified on this, but we are doing this. They were okay with that. And then Chris went into Congress and boy, I'll tell you, you know, he was a guy, he ran, he was a staff director of CISIC, you know, Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Um, he knew everybody. And, and, and then, you know, of course, when he became the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, that was a whole nother thing. Chris ran all the SAP programs in the government. He ran, well, actually in the military, I should say. He didn't know about this program, about uh, ATIP or OSAP. Didn't know about it. He wasn't happy. So when he went to Congress and he got Congress briefed and then Lou was able to arrange a lot of this too with the Navy. And, and don't forget that this program, you know, that came out and when the New York Times thing came out, it was me, Lou, Chris, and uh how put off had met with Leslie Kane um, at the Ritz Carlton, where we sort of let her know, you know, and uh, she was taken aback um, since we were all senior, senior people. And um, so she had to take it seriously. And I was, I was dumbfounded when the New York times came out with that. Of course I told Leslie, and I'll, I will answer your question, John. I promise. But but uh, <laughs> we're no, getting I, there. But I, but I remember when when it came out on that fateful day, um, the story was wrong. And I got a hold of Leslie, and I said, "It's it's not about twenty two million dollars, and the Pentagon has a UFO program. It's about there's an entity out there. There's some <laughs> kind of non human intelligence that's living with us on this fucking planet. I'm sorry, I'm getting all wound up. It, that story and she said they wouldn't let me run it like that hmm. and, and and it's still very very difficult so i give the new york times a, a lot of credit uh for running this story but for but for missing the big point we're not alone and we never have been alone and 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 i think that's what what chris mellon got across when he got the navy and again the navy is a very very small part of this and navy is just this one little small program that that they, they started because they were seeing all this stuff, right, on the East Coast and the West Coast and with the carrier groups. And that's how this all started. But that's, that wasn't the real program. I mean, that's part of it, you know. Um, but when the Congress saw the classified briefings, saw what I saw, they, they, they were dumbfounded. They wanted to know. They were angry, and they still are angry. Why weren't we told? Why didn't we know about this? Now, John can attest to this. This goes back a ways. This, this, this whole idea of, of keeping this hidden. Because I, I personally believe there were, and I still believe to this day, from what, everything I know, there are no answers in the sense that the, the government, the IC in particular, and, and, the, and the military have no answers. They really, truly have no answers. They may have uh, material, they may have other things, but that doesn't mean they know what it is that they're holding. That doesn't mean they understand this. This is 
this is, it was described to me as, you know, well, very well beyond our ken. Now, a couple of people have come out recently and said, well, we're maybe like, there may be a hundred years ahead of us. Nah, I think. I think a lot more. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 this is this, I mean, these things, I mean, UAPs, are, when they talk about the nuts and bolts, UAPs aren't even a story at all. UAPs are just like a, a sideshow. I mean, it's, just, it's just this stuff that shows up, right? But it, it's not it. I mean, it's a manifestation of it. But you notice these things, you know, they're out there, they're actual physical, but then all of a sudden they're not physical. This is what Jock talks about, you know, flying objects. I said, hell, I don't even know if they're flying or they're objects because they're objects, they're not objects. You know, they just disappear at will. Um, they're able to do incredible stuff. But are they just showing off? Are they just presenting us a show? What's actually behind that is what really matters. And when what's really behind that are the encounters. What's really behind that, and this is why I really credit Lou and Chris for making sure that the uh, Gillibrand Amendment puts in the biological, the social, uh, sociocultural, and the psychological aspects of this. Because that's where this is. That's where Jacques Vallée talks a lot about. That's what this is. This is some kind of a control mechanism that seems to be guiding us somewhere or pushing us in some direction here. But it's not about UAPs. UAPs are a sideshow as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but the military is interested in them because, wow, they can do really cool stuff. I remember Steve Justice looking at, you know, when we, we were all watching the videos at TTS headquarters in Encinitas before the videos came out. I remember Chris, I, I mean, I mean, I asked, uh, um, you know, Steve, who probably had his hands on more super classified, you know, data being with the skunk works. Right. And, and, you know, and he helped design all these aircraft and what have you. And I said, what did you think? And he said, I want to build it. I want to build something that has that. I mean, a typical engineer, right. That, that's what I want to do. I want to build that. And he, sketched out this really beautiful and i wish we were able to to do it but i, I don't think he's 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 able to but he he sketched out this beautiful aircraft of what it would look like with an anti-gravity a system put on it and things along those lines it was just absolutely gorgeous. he's a very talented designer you know so but yeah i mean that's um so i i think there was a turning point you know and the turning point was the new york times article and then and then once that turning point hit, then all the backstories, you know, all the people that were doing this for decades and devoted their lives to it, the people whose shoulders we stand on, right? Um, these are the people that um, uh, came into focus then, you know, and then they started talking more about it. They ha they're helping push this thing forward. So um, just because, John, I, you know, my, my personal feeling is just because this has come out in the public and it's, I don't think this is a and uh, a harbinger of, of, you know, the phenomenon coming, becoming more, you know, um, uh, uh, coming closer to us or becoming uh, 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 more, uh, I mean, where, where we're getting to a point, we're going to be understanding. I, I just don't, I just think we just, we just basically are talking about it more, but I don't, I don't, I don't see any, any uh, opening. The only thing I will tell, I will say, um, I've been in touch with the task force and, and what have you. Uh, and they really are just truly getting started on this, but they're primarily made up of scientists, you know, and, and my point to them, and I keep telling them, you need religious scholars, you need psychologists, 
You need people with a very strong background in this that goes back, you know, uh, you know, two or three or 400 years or 2000 years. You got to go back to Sumerians, right? You got to go back to all the ancient religious texts. All this stuff has to be taken into account when you're looking at this phenomenon because it, it, it's all there. Then you got to get some really powerful databases. And I know, you know, this is what Bigelow is doing with Bass. Um, and I would love to have my hands on, on those databases that they have. Uh, and Jacques Vallée designed them. And, uh, and he's like, you know, he's a creme de la creme when it comes to that. Extremely bright man. Um, but the, some of this stuff's already set up and, and ready to go. And I, I, I'm hopefully, hopefully um, they might find something, some, a little, little needle in the haystack or a little bit of signal in the noise, you know, that, that we could start, uh, you know, and then maybe get somewhere with this before, before the end of my lifetime, you know, <laughs> but, but, but I'm not holding my breath. John, does that answer you? I, I, I don't know. Thank you, Jim. I'm a typical DO officer, John. I, you know, I, I got a point here, and I just go all over the, you know, all over the place, and I'm back. Bob, Bob Bigelow, if you're listening, please give Jim Semivan access to your database. Thank you very much. This program is brought to you by Caudate Potamian Chevrolet, Ohio's favorite Chevrolet dealer. And now, on to our, on to our UAP experience or step. Jim and John, what a surprise to see you. So great to see you both. Uh, yeah, so, the, yeah, I'm an experiencer, as my title says, and in 1985, my entire family had witnessed UAP. Now, we were in the aerospace business. We actually provided the honeycomb pins to one of the Apollo projects. So at a very young age, I had the proper knowledge of how to identify a helicopter, an airplane, a stealth bomber, all of, all of these different things that we grew up with, all of these models sitting around our um, business. And so my concern is, yes, we've already established that UAP are real. Now, the general public outside of us, because I feel that we're a little bit different, set aside from the people who aren't following the topic, how would they now I not inundate the authorities after, say, they witness a satellite or a weather balloon? How would they go ahead and report this to, say, an Air Force base, such as what my family had done. We knew to report it to the proper authorities. Now, how would you go about putting out, say, a public service announcement through the government stating these are weather balloons, this is a satellite. If you see these items, please do not contact our office. How would you go about initiating that so that people aren't inundated with false reports? Yeah. Wow. Uh, the, answer, the, the short answer is, I don't know, probably two or three times a week. I uh, sometimes through LinkedIn, uh, sometimes through, you know, people get my email, uh, they will send me videos, some really rather compelling videos, mostly orbs. Sometimes, you know, um, um, you'll see like a saucer shaped object. Um, and they'll, some of them are in a panic. They don't know what to do about it. They're, um, you know, sure. and, 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 you know, and some families are involved and what have you. Um, yes. uh, the, the scarier ones are the orbs, uh, because there's not a lot of literature on the orbs and, yeah. um, they are very dangerous and, uh, you know, you, you know, don't invite them in. I always like to say, uh, you know, they get close, say something to the orbs and you know, stay away or get in the house or get away from them. Um, they're quite dangerous. 
and um, you know, they could be almost anything. They they ha they have morphed. They, we have a lot of literature on them morphing into, you know, being sometimes morphing into ships, um, coming together with other orbs, things along those lines. But there is no central clearinghouse for any of this. Mufon is the only place. I mean, I, I tell people to go to Mufon um, mm -hmm. and do that. Uh, uh, TTS has uh, two databases. Uh, one's called Vault, and one's called Scout. And uh, essentially, they're they're all built in there, and they're you know the AI databases. And um, one of our board of advisors members uh, actually developed these. He's a, a big IT guy from Price Waterhouse. And he built these in conjunction with Amazon and, and Microsoft. They're all built. And what, what, what they were ready to do, what we were ready to do was actually start accepting you know, people's videos, photographs, things along those lines. And we had a high degree of certainty that we would be able to run them through our databases and be able to tell whether they were real or not real. And if they were real, then we had our lines that were going to the government, you know, and but it would be all unclassified, you know, so everybody would have access to it then we would have our own database on a website where people could actually go in and do their own research if they wanted to, you know, so you're not waiting for the government to do anything, you know, taking it on for yourself. But when we had those set up and we went to um, uh, the cloud services to find out uh, when we can start uh, and they told us the amount of money it was going to cost, uh, we simply, we simply couldn't do it. Um, mm -hmm. Let me give you an example here of how difficult, why this is so difficult and why it's absolutely critical if we really want to go anyplace that we need to get some kind of institution set up. I had a, 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 a friend on LinkedIn tell me they're going to be starting one of these, uh, trying to start one of these institutions. And then I had another a, a guy who contacted me on LinkedIn who was really sort of upset why we didn't have it already. And he had these pretty good ideas of how they were going to do it. And, and I, I told both of them, I, you know, I said, look, you don't know how much money this costs. It is extraordinarily expensive. Yuri Milner gave uh, what SETI a hundred million dollars over a period of 20, 20 years where he's going to fund, you know, so they're sitting, I mean, God bless them. I mean, I hope, I hope they find something, you know, but you know, I, I would love to tell Seth Shostak they're here. They're here. <laughs> you know, yes. They're here. We can we can do something here. He is a total skeptic. I think a debunker actually, because he sounds like me. But um, um, uh, you know, he he just not not going to go there. But to actually get the data together, the structured and unstructured data, and put it in you know uh, in a, into a form where you're able to look at it. Um, and then you have the right type of analysts. You know, you'd want a John Ramirez. Or you'd want about a dozen John Ramirez is there because he's really yeah. talented, and he's he knows they know what to do, right? And mm -hmm. and and then you and you get some religious scholars there, and you get everybody in there, and now you're paying all these people. <laughs> and uh, you know, you're you're looking at minimum, you know, maybe ten to fifteen million uh, per year, and that's a small organization. Uh, and then if it's going to be interactive. You need a website, an interactive website. Um, one of the things we thought about was the possibility of crowdsourcing it where you would take a university and some universities now are allowing graduate students to specialize in UAP studies or in the phenomenon, things along those lines. 
and then be hiring grad students to do this, you know, run, run the, the data through and do the research and what have you. Um, but running data through a database doesn't necessarily mean you're going to come up with an answer. I mean, you have to be careful about the data you actually send through, and it has to coincide with the data you come, that, that comes out. In other words, it's just not that simple. It's a very, very difficult task to, to actually get something that makes sense, that you know you can put your imprimatur on it. So t that's what TTS was supposed to be about. And because we, we became a public benefit corporation because we we needed we wanted to donate 10 to 15 percent of the money we would be making through entertainment or research or whatever the story is, merchandising and throw that into the research. And we thought that would be enough. It's nowhere near enough, nowhere near enough. Mm -hmm. And then when we thought we would have all these investors coming in, we did. We got four thousand investors, but they're all mom and pop investors for the best part, you know. $500, $300. It's great to have them on board, but we don't, we need, we need so much more than that. And that was an eye opener for me and for Tom and Tom had already put millions into this, you know, company already. And, you know what I mean? And I told him, don't, don't, you can't do any more. I mean, it's just, right. it, it, you know, unless we have something big happening and we're, but we're working on it and we have some stuff going on. So I, I I'm very optimistic uh, that we might see some, uh, but, but we do need something, um, like, you know, Abby, Abby, Abby Loeb, right? He started the Galileo project. I'd be very curious to see how much money he has. And I'll guarantee you, he doesn't have much. He doesn't have anything near what he, what he needs to do to put these UAP, UAP sensors and telescopes where he wants to put them. Uh, right. If he did, then, he'd do it. I was Abby, going to mention Avi also. <laughs> Go yeah, ahead. I was yeah. going to say, Avi, can you please send your balance sheets to uh, <laughs> Jim Semivan, please, so he can take a look. So we right. got uh, we got uh, Robert Bass, we got uh, our Bigelow, and we got Avi. You guys owe, owe some material to Jim Semivan. Uh, but anyway, Jim, uh, regarding the orbs uh, and as far, the danger associated with them, do you think like perhaps like the little spray bottle to get the cat off your leather sofa would that work against the orbs? Do you think? No, I'm kidding. I'm, all right, I'm kidding. All right, <laughs> <No>. we have <laughs> we have we only we don't have that much time left with you. So we want to do some quick hitters here to get a couple more questions. Can we do like sort of a rapid fire-ish round? Okay. Okay. Uh, unless you're going to give us more than one hour. <laughs> so it's okay. I, I can probably give you, you know, another 15 or 20 15 minutes. minutes. All right. That, that'll really help out. Uh, but but we'll, we'll still try to get it rapid because I know Nathan's got more stuff. I mean, we have the religious scholar. We have the analyst down below. I can analyze flight, flight characteristics. We're ready to build this database, man. We got it. Um, but anyway, Jim, so uh, a friend of ours, uh, Vinny Adams, who I know you're familiar with of Disclosure Team and British journalist Professor David Clark put out the amazing Calvine photo of a craft. Uh, right. Clark was quoted in Newsweek as saying, uh, Aurora, uh, top secret reconnaissance aircraft, uh, which the U.S. Uh, was rumored to be building in the 1980s, though was never any evidence of such a project, and the U.S. government has consistently denied uh, its existence. Jim, uh, you saw that photo. What? And so some people are saying it's black U.S. tech, and I, I'm curious what your take is on that. Um, I don't have an opinion on it. Um, um, uh, the way I look at photos is I need, you know, an optical physicist to look at that and tell me that it's real. That's that's what I that I would say. And this is one of the reasons why we wanted to start Scout and Vault so we can actually look at it and say, yes, that is absolutely real. And and um, uh, and, you know, because, you know, as you know, I mean, there had there hadn't been very many very clear pictures 
of, uh, of uh, UAPs. Now, if you talk to Robert Hastings and he'll tell you that, you know, there have been instances where they have flown over, you know, uh, nuclear test sites and people have taken pictures up, up close and personal. Um, I had, had an interesting, you know, but, you know, and, and Robert, you know, Hastings always talks about the meh response, right? And, and it's like, it, it, it's, it's how people who have cameras around their neck don't end up taking pictures of them or you you're driving down the road and everybody sees a UFO and, uh, or UAP and, and they go, wow. And then they get back in the car and they don't talk about it, you know, and, 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 and is what Robert calls meh response. And it's happened to me. I mean, when my wife and I had our experience, I mean, my wife was very ill after that. So we, we were focusing on that, but after that we were like, you know, it wasn't something we were running with our hair on fire. It just, 20 some years, you know, uh, over 20 years, it took us to really, you know, sort of focus on it. So, you know, and I always tell Tom this too. I said, you know, everybody has a narrative. Everybody wants to tell you a story, their story. And that story is probably true, but all it is, is a narrative. I mean, you can't take it to court. You, it, it's essentially hearsay. It's, it's subjective. Um, science is too, too closed off to accept something like that anecdotes. So where you go to with that is where, where like Jock goes to and, and some of these anthropologists talk about the field centric model, you know, you have to go where it is because it's not reliable and it's not predictable. Right. So, you know, so what do you do with that? Well, you do what Jane Goodall did, you know, you sit there and you watch, right. watch the apes. Right. And then, right. but, but where the hell are you going to sit there and watch it? So what, you know, and, and with Jock's new book with Paolo Harris, you know, the Trinity, was beautifully done. I mean, that's exactly what you need to do. I mean, he went in there and he and Paula and they, they basically spent all the time they needed and they came out and they didn't come up with answers per se, but they did come up with, with a lot of good data. And I think that's where the future is in all of this um, is really mining the data and then verifying the data. Now I will say that I am hoping that the photographs that there that there that do exist in the government up close do come out. Um, you know, you're hoping for that. But think about that for a second. You know, right now, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day about this, and and you know, they were asking me, well, why isn't this like you know? Because I had mentioned, I had said, I always say it's a story of the millennia, and people say, well, why isn't you know? And, you know, I, I live in a little neighborhood here, you know, much old people. Nobody is interested in this. Nobody. <laughs> right. um, you walk into a room with 100 people, you might get one or two people that have heard about it. But this little bubble we live in, you know, they talk about liberal bubbles, conservative bubbles and all this kind of stuff. This is a UAP bubble. It's not that many people. And, right. and, um, and it's just... It, it's not, I mean, John Alexander used to talk about this. He said, it's not on the top 10, the top 20, probably the top 50 things that people are worried about in their lives. They're worried about, you know, inflation, taxes, their kids, you know, health issues, things along those lines. UAPs, phenomenon, it's just, it's just not there. The, uh, they get a kick out of it, I think, reading about it. And they're fascinated by it, you know, like, yeah, but it's like not high on their list. You know, they're not going to give money to it. And um, um, Congress is willing to give the, you know, uh, uh, the task force money. 
but I will tell you, I know what the budget is and it's not that much, you know, right. Not that much. Um, the only good thing that came out of that was there's more than one task force and everybody wants to get involved in it. And, uh, because the money's there, <laughs> but they're going to, they're going to get free. Money they're they're going to get free di- uh, data collection from the army, the Navy, the air force, even the Marine Corps from all their sensor systems. You just put it out there. You will collect, you will turn that into Intel when you land. And so that's free data. They don't have to field systems like, uh, Avi Loeb has to. Right. That make- right. Exactly. Exactly. But you know, I, 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 um, what I really am hoping for is eventually that we'll come to this ability where we, we come in and, and, and you have the phenomenon at, you know, the whole, and then you, you subdivide it up into the in various sections, you know, the uh, contact experiences, the abduction experiences, um, um, you know, the, uh, the, the possibility of different types of aliens, uh, the, you know, the, the whole idea, uh, like with John's, John's case, you know, being contacted very young and having that sort of continue through. I mean, when you look at that, I mean, that to me is probably one of the most fascinating uh, aspects of the abduction experience or the contact experience, uh, generational. My, my mother-in-law, my wife's mother, you know, is, uh, uh, I don't know, probably about 30 or 40% Cherokee Indian. But I remember when I first met her, I mean, she's telling us, you know, she would point up and she's a very sound woman, you know, very smart woman. Yeah. You know, I was, I, I know I have babies up there, you know, you know, and she had these experiences. Wow. And, 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 and um, uh, so, I mean, it doesn't run in families. I don't know, but you look at this, you know, you know, Chris Bledsoe, part of Chris Bledsoe's story, you know, it, you know, encompasses um, this little fascinating uh, thing with the lady, right. You know, where this uh, like uh, blessed Virgin Mary type figure, it definitely was not the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, you know, shows up, knocks him on his ass. Well, he gets knocked on his ass by a, a bull that came. It wasn't really a bull, was it? But it came out of a, the, the woods behind his house. And I was at his house and I saw it and knocked him down. And then as he turned up to pick up this, this vision of a lady, you know, three feet high, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, all in white, the same exact lady that showed up at Fatima, right? And if you read Jeffrey uh, Kripal's book, you know, Authors of the Impossible, in the conclusion, he talks a lot about that, about Fatima and actually what was, uh, what was written. And there's a lot of redaction done by, you know, the churches and, and, and culture, you know, where they say, you know, uh, you know, Lucia and, and, and uh, who actually, you know, they, when the, the kids, was, they never said it was the Blessed Virgin Mary, right? It was the lady. And she's described exactly how Chris Bledsoe described it. And there were government people who came to visit Chris were very interested in the lady. And I know these government people and they, they wanted to know more about it from Chris because they had seen her before. Uh, say they you, they have seen her. Stand, uh, the one where, I can't remember the name of the. Oh, uh, Terry Loveless. No, not Terry Loveless. Another one. It was a beautifully written book uh, about a young couple. And they go out and they've had experiences that turned out their whole life, but they went camping and they had this incredible experience out in the desert. Damn, I wish I could remember. It was written by a guy named Paul roberts something or other i got it here somewhere anyway but what the, the interesting thing was is they were being taken up into the ship you know they had the small grays and they had the what whitley calls the uh cobalt you know these little pieces of crap about that i really mean and then they had the tall grays and then as the pickup truck was being taken up i mean the lady again appeared right and told them it was all going to be you know okay wow 
very, very strange stuff. So, I mean, but to have, uh, you know, uh, be able to have a, uh, uh, an organization that would deal with that, we, that one aspect of it, what does that mean? Uh, you know, what's, wh why the lady uh, and, uh, you know, or, you know, I mean, Ingo Swan supposedly said, um, I think Hal told me this, um, that uh, the lady, uh, you know, uh, you know, appears on the, the far side of the moon. You know, what the hell that means, I don't know, but that's where when Ingo went out and Actually, I think in his book Penetration, uh, he 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 went out and um, he actually saw the aliens there. On the far and side they, of the they they basically looked at him and said, "Get the hell out!" You know, <laughs> he, did. he did right smartly. Got out right. You know, so right. I'm sorry. Once again, I'm rambling, taking up your time. Go ahead. Uh, no, that's okay. Uh, we have a religious scholar here, uh, Nathan. Why the lady in white? Well, it's a great question. Uh, it's a recurring motif and. I think there is something to that. Um, there's a, <laughs> Jim, it would take a long time to unpack all of that, I think. right? <laughs> um, I, I think I'd be remiss in my duty here if I didn't uh, defer some of my time to John, uh, who has so graciously offered to join us this evening. Um, John, I know you've got, got some questions for Jim, and I love this conversation. We'd love to keep it going. So uh, I, I give you the floor. Oh, you're on mute, though, sir. I was monitoring the comments coming through, and I saw one of a particular interest because there's a lot of misconception about how CIA does things. And this has related to, like, not crash retrievals of craft, but foreign technology in general, Jim. Uh, how would the CIA go about collecting foreign technology, and how does it get delivered so that it's used to uh, the government, whether it be the Department of Defense or if it's highly technical to academia, for example, uh, we read in Philip Corso's book that that allegedly occurred with materials from Roswell. But um, how is that done? I mean, if something crashed in a foreign country, and of course we operate overseas in foreign countries, we have relationships with our partners overseas. If something unusual crashed um, and it doesn't seem to be from this planet, What's the process of getting that to where it needs to go? Yeah, that, well, depending if we had a, uh, we, we, it would all depend on if we had a relationship with the country and the country allowed us to actually go in on their sovereign territory and actually, you know, and pick up something and, and take it away. Um, uh, if it was five eyes, you know, one of the five eyes, I don't think that would be a problem at all. Uh, I think we would, uh, we would then share the data with whoever, but whatever it would be that crashed, that would be taken, um, it would it would probably go immediately to the military, and um, uh, and then there there's any number of military uh, uh, um, institutes and or um, um, defense contractors that work with the military. I'm thinking about Battelle, you know, um, uh, any one of the five major defense contractors sometimes smaller contractors, but it would go, it would probably go to FTD first, you know, foreign technology division at Wright Pat or, or someplace depending on what it was. And then, and then the intelligence community would be brought in uh, CIA uh, uh, in particular would be brought in with DIA um, um, and try to analyze it. But uh, once again, when you're dealing with extremely exotic technology and it doesn't have to be UAPs, um, um, you, you, 
it tends to be highly classified because you don't want your, you know, uh, you don't want your enemies seeing that or even knowing that you have it. Uh, so that is going to be hidden. And, you know, now here's, here's the problem of all this. If it's exotic technology, I mean, if it's a crash saucer, all right, it's not just the technology, you know, it's the fact that we're, we're living here with, with you know, non-human entities, right? And I think that's what makes everybody mad, right? And the, the public mad and saying like, well, well, hell, you know what I mean? We want to know if we're not alone in the universe, right? But then the military saying, well, how the hell do I tell them? Uh, how do I tell them that, okay, that we're not alone in the universe, uh, but I can't prove it to them because I can't show them the technology. If I show them the technology, the Russians will know we have it. Uh, and the Russians will do everything in their power to get it. Uh, and, you know, and there's an imbalance there and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's a delicate type, type, type rope. Um, um, uh, I think, you know, I, I really think that the idea of hiding this is not a good one. Uh, I think that the people deserve to know that, that, yeah, that trumps everything as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it, it, we have to know this. And if the government has this, the government really should come out and tell us. And they, they should also be honest with us and say, well, we can't show you anything. And here's the reason why. And just be honest. Just just be honest about it. And and um, if, if that's possible. Now, we know yeah. that the Soviets, you know, or the, back when it was the Soviets and before 91, they had their own uh, what they call the Thread 3 program. Um, and if you ever saw the data on that, you know, I was I was familiar with some of the institutes that were working on that. Um, very legitimate, I thought. Just George Knapp pulled these things out in 91. You know, he got it from a, a KGB, uh, from a journalist who got it from a KGB officer. And they look absolutely real. So I, I, I believe they are credible. Um, so, um, yeah, there's, there's all kind of there's all kind of issues with that. But CIA doesn't I mean, it, it, there's, there's no cabal, you know, uh, the, you know out there. It, 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 when you work for the government and you guys, well, you know, this DJ, it, these are good people. Generally, they're good people. They're smart people. And and um, they're trying to figure this out and they're trying to uh, figure out what to do with this. And somebody's saying, oh, they're all going to go to jail because I've known this for seven years and it's an intelligence <laughs> failure and all this kind of stuff. Well, yeah, maybe it's an intelligence failure, but I don't know how much of an intelligence failure it is if you actually pick up a down craft and you have no damn idea what it is. You don't know how it works. You don't know anything about it. You can't figure out any material on it. You don't You don't know anything. You can knock on it, right? You can, you don't know, you know, and you, you, you look, maybe you find a propulsion system and you haven't a clue how it works. And not only did you have not a clue, you haven't had a clue for 70 years. <laughs> so how is that an intelligence failure in the sense that what, what are they supposed to do? I mean, they're supposed to say, yeah, you know, we, we yeah, we, we, what we have is, a, you know, a, essentially a big pile of something over here. And it's clearly not from our planet, but we don't know how it works. Hey, Jim, if, if I can tangent off of this, because you were you were just there with with what you were speaking with, John. What level of disclosure does Jim Semivan think is appropriate at this particular point in time? Um, don't forget, we're all looking at this from, you know, I mean, most people are looking at this from zero, the altitude, you know, the zero. And then maybe I'm looking at it and John's looking at it based on what we may know, you know, some of the corollary data associated with it. We're maybe at the 3,000 foot level, right? Maybe 4,000 foot level. But I know there's a 50,000 50, foot level. And, you know, you get into a lot of trouble when 
you start saying things like you start second guessing other people about whether they should do something or not do something. I like to give the government the benefit of the doubt um, uh, uh, on this issue because it's so complicated. Um, I do know uh, that there were there were times when groups of people would get together um, to talk about this, uh, whether or not they should let what, whatever information they had out. And the, the conversations always ended up saying no. Uh, they, they, they felt, they really honestly felt no. Um, now, is that, is that true now? I, I mean, let me go back to that original statement I told you earlier. People, nobody, can, this isn't a big topic with most people. Right. And, and uh, you know, the, uh, you know, I, I was reading these unbelievable statistics about people, 46% of the American populace, you know, reads it to sixth grade level. Um, their idea of uh, extraterrestrials or the phenomena is ET, you know, ouch. <laughs> you know, or, or what they got on Independence Day, right? Um, and then you're going to tell them, you're going to come out and you're going to tell them, uh, okay, everything you know about God, uh, everything you know about your church and how things work, you know, that you were brought up with through generation after generation after generation is woefully inadequate, has nothing to do with this. As a matter of fact, you're living in a, you, where you're living in a, in a place that there is another entity out there that we can't define, that we, we we have no relationship with, that basically can come can come in and out of your life at will, and do whatever the hell it wants. You think about that for a second. The president comes on and he says, "I can't defend against it because I don't know what it is." Um, we see it. Is it existential? Well, it hasn't done anything yet. Existential threat. It hasn't done anything yet. Well, I haven't done anything yet. That doesn't mean it's not an existential threat. So that's a pretty, that's a lot of, 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 of that, I mean, that's just a lot to digest uh, for any any human being. And particularly if it, you know, it's on all the news stations and all of a sudden, will people panic? Some people will. Uh, will you guys panic? No, no, you won't. You're used to this. But again, we're living in a little bubble here. Um, uh, I know, you know, I, I go to the nursing home to visit my mother-in-law and you start talking with some of these older patients there and they, they, they wouldn't be able to handle this. They, you know, and some of the people in, you know, in Ohio where I grew up, I mean, it's just not going to, it's not going to play well, you know, it, right. it won't play well. It's better I'm, to say that uh, uh, Kim and Kanye just broke up. And the paper towels, the the brawny pack of twelve down at Sam's Club is on sale. Uh, yeah, Nathan, yeah. You, you see what I'm getting at? I mean, it, this is how people live their lives, right? And they're not particularly intrepid at all, and they're not thinkers, you know, in a sense, forward thinking. They don't deal with this. They don't want to deal with this. They want to have what they have. That's why we get who we get in politics. Right. It's <laughs> only people who want to do it. I'm not going to say anything else, but that's what you do, do you guys mind if I just make a comment real quick? Um, yes, I just wanted to comment. We talked about all the reasons why we haven't disclosed because it could be harmful, but I really am starting to feel not disclosing has been more harmful because we are not preparing people for the medical issues and we are certainly not preparing our therapeutic 
and mental health people for the psychological issues connected to this phenomenon. So if anyone who is listening, who's working on this, is hearing me, please be aware that as a mental health practitioner, I would really appreciate more honesty so that we can prepare the mental health professionals to help. Thank you. Debbie, that, that you know, this is really funny. I mean, even though everything I just said, let me, let me tell you what Chris Mellon told me once. Uh, he, he's a very, very bright guy. And we were talking about this. And we, we were talking about this whole idea. It was me, Kit, and uh, Chris, Lou, Tom was there, Hal. And we were all chatting about this. And I remember Chris said, and he was absolutely right. And I, I do believe he's right. And Debbie, this goes right to your point. Um, we were saying, well, how much responsibility are we going to have as an organization to bring this out? But there were some people that were arguing, you know, do you want to scare you know younger people by coming out with all this data and things along those lines? But Chris Chris Mellon made the point. He said it's already out. It's there. People are Debbie, just like you said, I was affected by it. Chris Bledsoe was, I and mean, hundreds of thousands of people are affected by it. So you can't hide it and and you really shouldn't hide it so i I didn't want to come off as saying i just wanted to come off and saying there's two sides of the story but in the end if somebody asks me no we have to let this out we just i mean we we can't but but it's already out as far as i'm concerned i mean it's already out people just don't accept it what everybody's waiting for is the government to come out and say anything and i'm saying what the hell are you waiting for the government to come out they're not the least bit interested you know, in, you know, in UFO 101, they're, they're, they're interested in nuts and bolts. How can I weaponize whatever the hell that is and protect the United States government? But they're not interested in explaining it to anybody. That's why we need to go out there and, 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 and tell people this is real. This is what you need to do. And if there's a defense against this, like Stuart Davis talks a lot about the, you know, defensive mechanisms that you can use if you're bothered by this, we need to talk a lot more about that. And get it out there. So Chris Mellon and I, you know, was absolutely right on on this. We need to get it out. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, Jim, there's a, uh, it's sort of that that same thing that happens, uh, you know, in human families, right? The the human condition, for whatever reason, we all carry with us some kind of shame or or something that we feel like, you know, we do that we don't want ever other people to know about. And if we were just to kind of lay our our burdens or our, our feelings on the table in front of everyone, people would be like, well, I, I also have that issue or I, I struggle with that. Or, you know, there's this sense in which we're holding a lot in and we need that permission to let things go uh, and to kind of be voluntary with our experiences. And, and, you know, the way I look at this disclosure issue is that it's, you know, it really is a call and response. There is someone who goes forth whether it be the government or someone with other with influence who kind of gives permission to the to the herd you know to say that there is a there there and then the response is probably pretty overwhelming as i think we've been hinting at that that this is real and that many have experienced it and i just wonder to what degree do you think you know across the world you know our, our governments are 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 the, is there any degree of coordination here to kind of work together to try to, to to set the table and allow permission for this to be acknowledged? No. Um, and um, yes and no. Um, yes, governments, um, if, if you if you ask me five eyes, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure if there's definitely talk going on. But other governments um, 
have, have contacted us. Um, uh, and you know, uh, you have a problem here. And, and the problem is if you, uh, a government who has, uh, say for instance, France, uh, you know, very wonderfully open about this. Uh, they have a lot of data, but if they bring the data over to the U S yeah, you know, essentially the French want to know what the U S knows. Now, if the U.S. knows a lot more, and uh, and and the a lot more they know has to do with weapon systems or anything, they're not going to they're not going to share it necessarily. So, um, there that doesn't mean that that shouldn't be done. I mean, it, it really should be done. I mean, I think there is something going on, uh, but I think it's at a low level right now. I think Five Eyes is probably doing a lot more together, but but no, but yeah, you know, it's it's it's. Again, it's just the reason why we wanted to take this outside is why reason why Lou left is because we knew that the government was not the place to get this out to the public, to get this out in a proper way. It just it isn't. That's not how the government works. You, know, you, you need to take this out privately and, and you need to figure this out. We need a, a Bill Gates, a Ford Foundation. We need to get you know people that are serious behind this. I mean, Bill Cates is spending a ton of money on mosquito, you know, a DNA, you know, switching around. Fine. This is fantastic. He's saving lives. But um, for a lot of people, this is just too woo woo. They don't want to go there. You know, and, and sadly, I mean, you know, for, for all of us. Right. You know, we sit here, we're spending our whole lives dealing with this. Right. It's all we think about. But there aren't enough people that are concerned. Uh, there just aren't. And I get that, but what do you think the percentage is of the population that actually has had an experience that hasn't? I would say at least 50 to 60% in some form or fashion, whether that includes probably more if you include poltergeist activity, uh, paranormal. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and again, my, you know, my, my feeling isn't that this is paranormal or supernatural. This is all natural activity. We just call it supernatural because we don't understand it, but it is all part of the natural universe. It's part of our reality. So our consensus reality that we live in right now, right? It's just, it's just too constricted. It's just not true. It's not, it's not real, and it needs to open up. It's what you know, uh, Henry and uh, Henry James, uh, uh, William James, you know, mm-hmm. kept calling for this radical empiricism, and by that he meant. Uh, just, just this idea that you can have, an, you know, an, an empiric system, but you need to have it opened up to bring this in. They proved, you know, back the, the British Psychical Association around the turn of the century, pretty much approved that telepathy exists, telekinesis exists, um, uh, clairvoyance, things along those lines. I mean, they had plenty of evidence, uh, you know, to prove that this is real. Stacks and stacks of evidence. <sighs> But, you know, you take it to a scientist and, you know, and actually there were they were scientists to prove this. But, you know, this again, this tradition of disbelief that's been going on in our educational system forever. Um, they just don't look at it that way. It's uh, science is a wonderful thing. I mean, you know, it's, it's just incredibly wonderful. It's brought great success and, um, you know, in health and, and um, you know, technology. But it's um, it's. Um, it doesn't accept things uh, if it doesn't meet, fit into the model. And the model is reliability and predictability. And if there's one thing this phenomenon is not, as a matter of it spits at us when you when you try to get, you know, re- anywhere reliability or predictability at it. It gives you the big middle finger, right? Uh, because it doesn't care. It doesn't care. 
I, I, it, that's the only excuse I have. I mean, I you know now some people might say, well, it's a grander reason why it doesn't care. Well, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I, I, again, I go back to the gym, right? They're, they're fucking with us. <laughs> <laughs> this is what John Keel said, you know, yeah. in Operation Trojan Horse, which I probably read four times already, but he, he called it a big paraphysical game, just a big screw you. You know what I mean? I have a chance to screw you because I have something over you and I'm going to do it. And um, sometimes it's funny. Most times it isn't. And sometimes it's dangerous. And sometimes it's just plain human rights violations, you know? So, and then sometimes it works wonders, you know, I don't know. So we'll see. On that dark note, since, since you just went there, I'll, I have one dark question left. I have a light question. We got to get to, yeah, I got to leave well. it too. Yeah. So, okay. Let me, uh, this question, um, you, you've said, you know, people have died over this. The phenomenon is not yeah. all good. Uh, people like Lou, yourself, Rick Doty allude to things like this. Uh, is the phenomenon the source, in your opinion, of many missing people who have mysteriously disappeared from national parks? People such as uh, the Tom Mesa case presented by David Polides. Um, uh, is the phenomenon the, perhaps the source of missing people? Uh, certainly, certainly a possibility. I mean, I haven't read, I hadn't read, haven't not read Politi's work. Um, uh, uh, although I, I take it at face value that it's, that it's accurate and it's true. Um, and people disappear, you know, too many people disappear all the time and we don't know what happened to them. Could it be the phenomenon? Why not? I mean, what else is it? I mean, what, seriously, what else is it? I mean, if a hundred thousand people, you know, disappear in a year or two years or the bodies, Right. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it could very well be, um, but we have no proof. Right. Once again. I know, Once right. Um, we're, we're swimming in what Whitney, Whit, Whitley Strieber calls out, a forest of hypotheses. We're just roaming around this forest, you know, thinking, well, it could be this. Well, it could be that. Well, it could be this thing over here. In the end, we don't know. And this is what the most frustrating thing is about this DJ, at least to me. And it's the reason why probably once a month I say, that's it. I'm closing shop, you know, getting <laughs> the books, you know, you know, just just live the rest of whatever life I have left, you know what I mean? And hang out at the beach. And I've lived near the beach here or so. But then it drags me back, right? You know, <laughs> the Michael Corleone syndrome. Well, um, no, I get this LinkedIn request from this guy named DJ and, you know, and these uh, <laughs> calling all beans kind of things. And, uh, and you know, seriously, but, you know, I, I don't, you know, you know, when you look at fellow travelers, right. And, you know, and I don't have anybody I talk to about this, you know, mm -hmm. I don't, there isn't anybody. And I'm, except, you know, my, my pals like John or, you know, Robert Hastings, I, you know, I'm always in contact with and Tom and, and, um, you know, things and, you know, Kit and Hal and stuff. I can always talk to them about it, but, you know, we live far away from each other and it's, it's hard and it, um, it's just hard to, to to talk so when you get an opportunity to talk with like-minded souls you know uh, it's a gift yeah you do it, it truly yeah. is um steph do you uh do you, uh, do you have anything uh, left for him and then john and then we'll we'll get get you out of here i do have one last inquiry and my apologies it's a bit dark as well i'm i'm deeply concerned for our military personnel and them being on the front lines of addressing this and being from Southern California, being off the coast of California, having friends serve in the Navy and the military, um, not just heightens my awareness as well. So uh, on the coast of Catalina, there was a recent amphibious uh, craft of ours that unfortunately had 
sink and we've lost nine of our members, is there potential for this transmedium craft to have been altering our mechanics as they've been reported to do so? Do you Are you able to comment on that, for one? I don't want to uh, ask no, a question you're not able to yeah. ask. I'll be honest, I don't have very much information on the transmedium vehicles. I do know uh, from friends of mine that they uh, uh, that do have a little bit more knowledge um, that they can't figure it out because there's no cavitation effects or super cavitation effects associated with these these vehicles. Um, okay. uh, they just seem to be able to do what they do. And, and some people believe that, you know, it, this whole idea of intention, you know, it, you know, are these craft intentionally damaging or taking our lives and, or are, 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 are ships instead of getting too close to them? Um, uh, I don't know. I, I think it, I, I think it's, um, uh, you know, it's, it's the fault of the person who knows more and who, who has more control. This would be the phenomena, but I will tell you sure. that I got a briefing, um, on the, uh, cohort group uh it used to be called the interference syndrome and it was it was about 100 people mm -hmm. and out of that 100 we've lost uh about 20 uh and who these are people who ran smack dab into the phenomenon right in various circumstances my wife and i are included in that um uh and we lost a lot of those 20 to suicide mm -hmm. um i saw the hipaa restricted uh PowerPoint uh, on what these people look like, what their brains look like, what their bodies look like after they were uh, uh, either had orb activity or, and a lot of this happened at Skinwalker. Um, uh, these these officers, you know, going out and then coming back, and um, then the hitchhiker effect, uh, you know, damaged uh, some family members. You know, the orbs. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's it's pretty serious stuff, and and you know I, I don't, I, I, I you know I, I don't know what to do. I mean you know there you know you know I, I this is really funny. I mean I, my wife and I sleep with on all our beds, right? There's rosaries and amulets, right? <laughs> I don't know what else to do. I got a mezuzah on my front door. I'm not Jewish, but you know what I mean. It, it's like I got Buddhas in my backyard. I got you know and and uh, I sleep with a locked door at night. Uh, mm -hmm. I always have. I can't sleep in a dark room. Got to have a little bit of light. And um, um, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, some, you know, Stuart, you know, would, would say, you know, you have to. And I agree with Stuart. I mean, you can you can always ask it to leave you alone. Sure. But in the case stuff that you're you're talking about, um, you know, when, and this is not the first time this has happened, uh, where you know, military aircraft things along those get too close, and uh, you you know, and then you lose a lose a life or two. But, you know, in the end, if you look at it over 80 years, we haven't lost that many people to this phenomenon, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we've lost some, but, you know, losing one is bad enough, but we haven't lost, like, enough to make everybody jump up and down, you know? So that was a good question, though. I, yeah, that was I, a great I question. wish I had more of an answer for you. That no, was a great question. something to be Thank understood. You. Thank you for sure. chiming Thank you, in on that. Delic. That Appreciate was awesome. It. And we'll give the last question to our friend, Mr. John Ramirez. He's going to unmute there. Okay, thank you. Um, Jim, um, you were just mentioned some of these uh, anomalous health effects. Um, and 
what occurred at Skinwalker Ranch with some of the folks that were there. Is there any kind of correlation between that effect and what is popularly known as Havana syndrome? Well, uh, I just had a conversation with um, uh, somebody about that not too long ago. Um, uh, I was a victim. I, they think I was a victim of Havana syndrome back in the 80s, believe it or not. Wow. This technology uh, goes back probably to the mid-70s, and um, it... Um, uh, I really can't comment on too much, but the technology now is is really available. I mean, anybody can can do this. Um, uh, it, I mean, well, I shouldn't say anybody. I mean, you really need an engineer or somebody who's really good with um, electronics can can actually do this and, p- and pose a problem. Uh, but yeah, there there very well might be. I mean, Gary Nolan uh, talked about this. So did Kit Green uh, about these commonalities uh, between the two and whether they're just happen to be, you know, uh, similar in some respects, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know, but the Havana syndrome, you know, is something that's happening, you know, to, uh, believe it or not, mostly agency people, uh, and NSA people and things along those lines, uh, and, and some military people, it's usually intelligence people it's happening to. Uh, so that, that is definitely directed now, whether it's done by the Russians, um, or it's done by what Pompeo uh, once eerily commented on. It. He said, we think it might be a non-state hostile intelligence service. Think about that. The hell is that mean? Um, uh, and I, he was very careful with his words. He's a very bright guy. Hmm. So, um, so what leads me to believe it could be commercial. It could be uh, industrial espionage, somebody trying to get information and then selling it, you know, uh, on a black market type of deal. And then, you know, and then in the meantime, um, now I do know that Mark, um, uh, who is the head of like CE, John, I think, you know, Mark, yeah. um, uh, when he went to Moscow and he got whacked, he and his deputy got whacked in Moscow. They told him not to go. He went and they did it. I mean, they did it. and you can't tell me that was, you know, uh, you know, uh, a coincidence. That was not a coincidence. They damaged that man and they damaged him. He was a, he's a, a really good legendary officer in the agency and they right. damaged him. So, so yeah, is there a link? Uh, there probably is. There certainly are a lot of uh, similarities between the two. I can't, I can't for certain say they are. And if they were though, John, I mean, you know, I mean, I would ask you, what the hell does that mean? You know? Right. Yes. You didn't have to answer that, but I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Yes. I don't know. I don't know what it would mean if there are similarities between the two. Mm-hmm. You know, does that mean that? Does that mean that the phenomenon is now doing doing things like that? You know, uh, I, I don't know. But I do know it, it is a it is a, 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 a human technology uh, that I do know, and and that is it is is um, um, uh, it's still being practiced, obviously, and it may be being practiced by independent players along with. Um, uh, state actors, uh, nation states. Yeah, that's really scary. That so, even though uh, it's sort of a dark topic to end on, I, I want to say that you and our honorary cabbie today, uh, John Ramirez, have brought so much positivity into the space, which is why we do the show, uh, is to kind of spread it, bring it, and just purvey that out into uh, the UFO community. And and boy, did you really bring it. So what? This is the part where we each say goodbye, and we'll start with our UAP experience or stuff. 
I'm going to make it fast because I know we have to wrap up. It's been great sharing this space with you guys. I can, will continue to listen to you on your journey through exploring this wild thing that we're all, you know, trying to figure out. So thank you so much and I'll see you on the next show. Thank you, Steph. Thank you. And Mr. Ramirez. (laughs) Well, Jim, it's a, it's an honor being with you. I think it's a first. I don't think uh, any podcast has had two CI officers at the same time. So um, it was a pleasure to be with you. This is, ah, he's back. This is incredible. And let's see if we can hear him. And we'll see if Jim can hear us. I think, does he think we closed out completely? I don't think so. He may have just frozen if we lost him. I don't, um, that would be terrible. We were doing so good on our goodbyes. It was so beautiful. Okay. Oh, there he is. Yes, Jim, we see you on screen, but you're frozen. Oh, darn it. Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) It was bad timing, but almost funny. (laughs) Just as you were saying, <laughs> the two of you were on the screen. Let me, let me, I'm gonna... Yeah, my intro was a little funky too. Well, um, uh, while right we're w- while we're waiting, perhaps, um, <laughs> John, since we've got you here, uh, if we can get Jim back, but we'd love to talk with you as well. Um, can you tell any, any of us what you've been working on or uh, what you know yes, ideas uh, are floating around your head right now? Right. Uh, one of the projects uh, is called Radio Contact. It's uh, by uh, Mark Sims and Jimmy Blanchett. I'm part of a private group uh, based out of Sedona, Arizona. Uh, we do have a, like a global presence of so about eight of us. Uh, we're using radios uh, the way J- Jimmy Blanchett and Mark Sims use these radios to try to make contact. And uh, so there's some exciting developments about that. Uh, And also, uh, I will be appearing at the International UFO Congress in Mesa, Arizona in October. And I'll be presenting a talk on the legislation that is forthcoming fiscal year FY23 and comparing uh, notes between what the NDA says, what the IA says, and how these various uh, agencies might respond to the legislation, which opens up a lot of um, ability for people like me to come forward, for others to come forward uh, with whistleblower protection um, and with uh, somewhat forgiveness uh, for uh, coming forward with more truth that I think everyone would like to hear. And so I'll be doing that in October. Fantastic, thank you so much. Uh, DJ. Did you get in touch with Jim? DJ. Several technical difficulties here at the end. So, uh, well, that's really fantastic, John. And, you know, have you seen since you've kind of been more vocal about your experiences and it sounds like you're getting a lot more involved, you know, have you seen a positive response from your former colleagues or, or folks that are currently in, in the agency uh, you know, in, in reaction to kind of what's happening generally in this area? Well, I've reached back to uh, some of my friends who I know knew were experiencers from before. I try to urge them to come forward um, and they're very reluctant to do so. So we might have to rely on this legislation to give them what we call top cover to come out with their story. Right. Great. All right, DJ, one last time. You with us? 
Hi, yes, sir. Yeah, I'm, I'm back go. with you, and I want to relay from Jim on the phone. Uh, he, uh, he wanted to thank John and uh, you, Nathan, and Deb, and Steph, uh, and he really enjoyed it. He said it was a hoot, and uh, I'm assuming that uh, based on that, he'll probably come back with us, and, and I think we have enough questions on our spreadsheet now to do a whole other show. <laughs> we certainly so. do. Yeah, and uh, on that note, as we kind of wrap up, I wanted to thank, uh, again, thank you, John, for joining us this evening, and and thank you to everyone Yay. who's been li listening to the show and uh, dropping comments. We did see all the comments. Um, yes. Like DJ hinted, we have so many questions we couldn't get to. So hopefully we'll get a chance to uh, do that again. And John, we'd love to have you back, of course, as well, to uh, to have an extended conversation, uh, if that's okay with you. Uh, okay. So if you haven't hit a like, we, we'd appreciate that very much. It does help the show. Um, and if you haven't subscribed, that would help as well. And DJ, you want to take us out? Yeah. Uh, yes, again, <laughs> everything that Nathan said. He closed it up perfectly. So for uh, Steph, for Debs, for John Ramirez, our guest, our honorary cabbie, <laughs> and for Money Nathan, my co-creating brother, uh, this is uh, DJ saying uh, peace out, one love. We'll see you down the road. And always, we're always wondering what's up around the bend. <laughs>